Hey there, everybody. It is your homegirl, Coach Leah. Welcome to our premiere episode of After the Whistle. Let's go. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I am so happy that you choose, you chose, <laughs> choose, you chose to join us on this Tuesday for our premiere episode of After the Whistle. But before we get into anything, I would be remiss to not invite in a very important person, Al McFarlane, Editor-in-Chief of Inside News. Hey, Leah, how you doing? I'm so excited. Uh, this is a wonderful, wonderful, great beginning. You look great. You sound great. The, mich the mission, the vision, superb. So I'm just here to say uh, I'm your number one fan. Let's make this thing happen. Let's do it. Nice, nice. Thank you so much. And we'll be getting you back on here very, very soon. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. All right. So we want to start every episode with me sharing with you guys the fact that I believe I am one degree of separation from just about anybody. And our main guest today, you will learn um, how I am one degree of separation from Sylvia Crawley Span. But before even we get to that, I want to take a moment to talk about our very first distinguished diamond. Now, the diamonds from our Diamond in the Rough program, which many of you that have been following the Frazier Foundation or the Diamond in the Rough program in the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul and that entire Metroplex will remember that we selected several very talented young women to become a diamonds. And during After the Whistle, I am going to highlight a distinguished diamond, one of those young women at the beginning of every episode. And, oh, I'm so honored to have for my premiere episode, my distinguished diamond with, which is Dr. Chelsea Frazier. So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Chelsea Frazier. So Dr. Mikhail, Chelsea Mikhail Frazier, PhD, is a Black feminist eco-critic writing, researching, and teaching at the intersection of Black feminist theory, and environmental thought. Across a diverse array of platforms, all of Dr. Frazier's work is geared toward creating paths toward harmonial worlds, worlds that are no longer, that no longer rely on the harm of Black people, the destruction of our environment, or the exploitation of femininity to keep spinning. In 2019, Dr. Frazier founded Ask an Amazon, an educational hub where she designs educational tools, curates community gatherings, gives lectures, and provides consulting services meant to help students, professionals, and creative and organizations with their intellectual and creative development. She also sits on the Cornell University Department of Literature in English faculty, where she teaches students and trains emerging scholars in the fields of African-American literature and culture, gender and sexuality studies, and the environmental humanities. 
Dr. Frazier is currently at work on her first book manuscript, which is a culmination of a years-long eco-critical investigation of contemporary Black women artists, writers, and activists. In her analysis, she illuminates the cultural histories and creative contributions of Black women who've carved out a rich and transformative practice of ecological ethics alternative to the environmentalisms, that's a Chelseaism for sure, that are readily legible in Western society. Dr. Frazier earned her PhD in the Department of African-American Studies at Northwestern University. Additionally, she earned her Master's of Arts from the Department of African-American Studies at Northwestern's her Master's of Arts from the American Studies program at Purdue University, her Bachelor of Arts from the Department of Women's Studies, Gender and Sexuality Studies at Barnard College of Columbia University. Welcome, 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 Dr. Frazier to After the Whistle. Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited to be here and congratulations on this wonderful new venture. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here. And so some people may either um, see a resemblance or, you know, there might be a name recognition or, or something, but I'm going to go ahead and just get the elephant out the room. Um, this is my baby. This is my <laughs> baby. <laughs> and, um, you know, I would have been remiss to not have you be my first distinguished diamond, because literally you have seen this journey from day one, literally. And so um, I wanted to honor you, however, because you've just done such tremendous work from your days of being a diamond, being on Team Diamonds Minnesota and playing and running around, getting all sweaty in gyms in Chicago and Orlando and South Carolina and you know, just all over the place when you were in uh, middle school and high school. Well, you became a diamond in high school and uh, when you were to correct. But um, like I said, I wanted to take this chance to just um, honor you, tell you how much I'm proud of you and give you a chance to just tell the people a little bit about what you're doing today. Well, again, just thank you so much for having me. I feel so honored. Um, I should say that it has is take I remember being I remember being like oh I'm only a diamond back in the day because my mother this is my mother's program and you were always like no you're here because you earned it you know and you're very talented and you're very hardworking and it only took for me to play basketball for all these years for all these teams and get four degrees and start training other <laughs> okay. people for me to actually <laughs> start believing. Hmm. She might have been onto something. So I appreciate all of the opportunities that you uh, forged, not just for me, but for so many people in our community in Minneapolis, for so many people in our community in Texas, and for so many people nationwide. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And um, what am I doing these days? At this exact moment, I'm spending most of my time getting as much rest as possible. I just completed. Um, my first year as a tenure track professor at Cornell University. And um, it was one of the most rewarding years of my life and has been filled with a lot of new challenges. 
And so now I'm resting as much as I can, um, writing in the mornings and uh, getting my syllabi ready for next semester because I'll be teaching um, not a whole new batch of classes next semester. Some will be repeats, but mostly new classes. Um, so yeah, so right now I'm, I'm writing and researching. As you mentioned uh, in my introduction, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, I am, I'm writing a book. <laughs> and so a lot of my writing and research uh, is geared toward the development of that manuscript. And a lot of my syllabi, again, I'm, I'm writing in preparation for this upcoming academic year. And so um, the academy has a tendency to be a very, uh, a, a place filled with a lot of overworked people. And um, what I am hoping to do, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, honey, I'm sorry. Oh, no worries, no worries. What I'm hoping to do is to, uh, you know, keep reminding myself that rest is also productive and also to provide a model for my students that is as sustainable as possible, um, a model where they can, you know, bring as much passion and enthusiasm to their work um, as they can, while also knowing that, uh, you know, rest, recouping, caring for themselves deeply and, and, um, and being and being able to show up presently for their communities is just as important as you know the reading, the writing, and the teaching. So that's what I'm up to these days. No doubt, and that's the kind of balance that you know we all try to achieve as best we can. Because um, as overachievers, the overachievers that we are, if we don't try to fit that balance, it, it doesn't even make sense to be an overachiever, right? So I mean, it's not fun. It makes it. It makes even the thing that you that you show up to that you love. It just sucks all of the joy out of it. And um, and so that's something that it's it's harder to strike a balance when you're when you're kind of in the trenches and really getting yourself established. Uh, but you know, there comes a point where you have to say, "How can I do this work in a more sustainable way?" And so that is my biggest that is my biggest challenge right now. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Well, the one thing that I wanted to ask you is give me your your favorite inspirational quote so that we can um, kind of end our interview here with you leaving something for someone with anybody that's listening that maybe would aspire to be a diamond. How can you inspire them with your most inspirational quote? Okay, my most inspirational quote. Oof. Um, well, there's well, one by Octavia. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go. Yes. That's what I was about to say. Your girl, Octavia. Oh. Please. <laughs> there's one, there's share, one by. Share with the people. Yes. There's one by Octavia Butler that I was returned to. All that you touch, you change. Um, all that you change, all that touches you change. Oh, no. Now I'm messing up the order, but, um, okay. Let me think for a second. Um, all that you touch, you change, and everything you change, everything you touch changes you. Oh my goodness, I'm completely butchering this quote right now. Um, but um, you want me to, oh, go ahead. You, you got it. You help, help me. No, no, help, help me, please. Lifeline, lifeline, lifeline. Please. No worries. All that you, <laughs> right? All that you touch, you change. Yes. All that you change changes you. There it is. The there only it is. Lasting truth is change. 
Yes, that's the one. That is the one. Um, I keep that sentiment <laughs> as close as possible because I'm someone who really isn't, I mean, humans don't really like change all that much, but <laughs> um, I'm somebody who likes to keep things comfortable and likes to keep things, you know, feeling good. And so um, reminding myself that there is no growth without change. There is no evolution without change. There is no challenge. There's no fun without change most of the time. And so um, that is a quote that I come back to again and again. Um, so, yeah. I love that. And the, mm -hmm. this is actually something I want you to think about sharing with our future Diamond and the Rough Fellows. And, I'm, and the reason I want you to share something is because, again, you've been you've been with me on this journey from the very beginning when you were mm -hmm. a little, little girl. Yeah. But there's a, a special time we share to talk about. And so if there's anything that you can share with our up and coming Diamond in the Rough Fellows, what do you think that would be? Um, I think to just stick with that, um, the theme of change, I think remembering that whatever you're going through, even though it might be challenging at that particular moment, it really is on, it's only one moment in time. And um, staying focused on what you want to get out of that moment, you know, whether that be uh, a paper that you're writing that you're really struggling with, or whether that be a, uh, a practice that didn't go so well, you know, a game that didn't go so well, or even a game that went incredibly, right? Or, you know, an assignment that you knocked out of the park, whatever it is, just continuing to know that um, things will continue to move. And the way to really, I think, the way that I have been able to uh, sort of just live as abundantly as I can is by being as present as I can in these moments, while also knowing that more is yet to come and just continuing to move forward. So, yeah. That's, that's so beautiful. And so um, as you all have been hearing, uh, Dr. Chelsea Frazier is a wealth of knowledge and you have so much more to share as a main guest um, very, very soon. I, I need you to come back as one of our featured guests so that we can do a deeper dive into the work that you do and the amazing change that you're making for yourself to make the world a better place as a whole. So, Pinky, Well, thank you. I'd promise. love to come back. Okay. Thank you, Promise. I'll come back. Have me back whenever. All right. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> nice, All right. nice. Um, well, Chelsea's yes. going to get out of here at this time. And so while we are, um, while we are um, bringing special people to meet all of you, special people that are exceptional individuals in their own right as elite athletes, as you, as you can see, that the athletics just doesn't, isn't the only thing I should say that defines these individuals. And so at this time, I would love to introduce to you our main featured guest, which is Sylvia Crawley Spann. And let me tell you a little bit about Sylvia. 
So Sylvia was born and raised in Steubenville, Ohio. She, had, she attended Steubenville Big Red High School, where she played volleyball, basketball, and track. She earned a full scholarship to play basketball at the University of Carolina, where she led the Tar Heels as a captain to a national championship her senior year. During her time at North Carolina, she had an opportunity to also meet some really life, some really great lifelong friends. But while she was while she was there, she stayed focused on her academics as well and graduated with a double my double major of communications and radio and TV motion pictures. Sylvia signed her first professional contract to play abroad in France and would continue to play professionally in 16 different countries. She is silver and multiple gold medalist. She played USA basketball for the Jones Cup and in 1997 was named USA Basketball Player of the Year. Shortly after, she was added to the USA national team and was named an alternate for the 1998 Olympic team. Sylvia played in the ABL, the American Basketball League, where she won the first ever women's slam dunk contest. She won with a perfect score of 100 doing a blindfold dunk, people, in 1998. The ABL suspended operations and she was able to quickly transition to the WNBA, where she played for the Portland Fire and the San Antonio Silver Stars. In 2004, Sylvia retired from the San Antonio Silver Stars, which relocated and is now known as the 2022 WNBA champions, Las Vegas Aces. Sylvia transitioned into coaching college basketball and then quickly rose to a head coaching position at Ohio University and then Boston College, where she was the first ever black coach at both of those institutions. Sylvia has also played and coached at her alma mater, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where her jersey hangs in the raptures. She has even coached at the highest level as an assistant for WNBA's Indiana Fever. Currently, Coach Sill, as she's called, is a global coach where she trains male and female athletes around the world. Off the court, Sylvia is CEO of Crawley's Creation LLC, a fashion and interior design company. She is also the co-founder of Monarch Magazine, sold nationwide at Barnes and Nobles. She has recently launched a wellness collection of magnesium products, offering organic relief for chronic pain, anxiety, and insomnia. Sylvia is Sylvia married her best friend, Pastor Brian Spann, and they reside in Durham, Carolina, North Carolina, where they care for Sylvia's parents. I would love to now introduce to you Sylvia Crawley Spann. What a warm welcome. Thank you, Leah, for having me on the show today. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Coach Leah's After the Whistle. Thank you. 
I'm so proud of you and this show. It's been a long time coming. And so we are here finally. I know, right? This is so amazing. And I'm so honored that you agreed to be our main featured guest for our for my premiere episode as well. Um, so our one degree of separation, I have to tell you our little my little story of the fact that, again, I believe I'm one degree of separation from, from just about everyone. But um, back in, so I think it was 1996 or maybe even before that. Um, and you were still in, so yeah, you were still in college at, at UNC. And I was just like, well, who is this tall, lanky, just young woman just dominating just just the the whole just everything and so i started following you from afar because i just loved your game so i was like fangirling you like for for sure because your game was just so dope and then obviously years later when you played the WNBA, I had a chance to follow you. I, I didn't get a chance to see you as much in the ABL, unfortunately, because there wasn't as much nationwide coverage for the games, but I for sure had a chance to um, know how well you were doing there and was so happy to see that you were quick up, picked up so quickly by the WNBA. And um, um, so that was our one, that literally was my one degree of separation uh, because I was covering the WNBA as a um, sports reporter for Inside News even back then. So I had a chance to kind of, you know, get to know you and um, just to see just the, the person that you were on the court dominating, but then also just how gracious you've always been and just welcoming and just so kind and just all the stuff that you are now, I, I knew about you even before actually, quote unquote, meeting you and becoming friends because we're friends now. And I love it. We're like sisters. We yeah, we really are. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. So talk to me about your slam program, because I didn't get a chance to really talk about it that during your your um, introduction but I wanted to just out the gate, talk about your SLAM program. So tell everybody about that. Well, I'm glad you asked me that question first, Leah, because um, I'm super proud of my SLAM signature program because it, it unites everything, my whole body of work into one thing. And so all my life I've done multiple things. I've been into multiple streams of income, but that's just kind of how we're taught as student athletes, we've got to juggle being a student, you know, a student, an athlete, homework, social life, you know, and so straight out of college, I just jumped into doing a lot of different things. So basically my SLAM signature program, um, it, it came about because every time people introduce me, they talk about my blindfolded dunk. And when they, when I go to speak somewhere, they play the video of the dunk. Right. And so it only made sense for me to name my program SLAM. The acronym stands for the S stands for self-care, leadership, alignment and mindset. That could stand for mental toughness, depending on the audience. Um, and so I travel across the country talking to teams, even the a whole athletic department. I've spoke to like a, an entire school. I've done a even done a women's empowerment birthday party talking about this SLAM acronym, right? And so it's considered an SEL program, social emotional learning program, which is in high demand 
um, since we since we've experienced COVID because kids, you know, self care is huge. Kids are being bullied. Kids need to learn how to be a leader and not follow after the crowd on social media. Um, you know, alignment or accountability. Sometimes that A could stand for accountability. So, um, so I'm super excited and passionate about this. You know, I've, I've been speaking all my life. I'm a communications major, so it just makes sense. So when people, um, you know, they basically pay me to come in and talk about my Slam Signature program. They play the blindfold dunk video when they introduce me. At the end of that, it talks about how you can purchase my new NFT. Um, and if you're interested in that, shameless plug, go to my um, at Slam Lounge double zero on Twitter and you can see a link on how to get that NFT. But any any kid, any um, young person that's into NFTs, metaverse space, cryptocurrency, they're jumping all over that. I don't even have to mention that. And then I get up to speak. I'm usually wearing my Slam T-shirt, which is a smart T-shirt, by the way, which you can get. If you get two of my NFTs, it's a collection. So you can collect about five of them. So the T-shirt is part of it. Um, if you don't, if you're not into cryptocurrency and NFTs, you can get it through my clothing line, Crawley's Creation. And then um, as I'm talking about the SLAM acronym, when I talk about self-care, I do like a shameless plug and show my magnesium products. Can I, can I go get it real quick? It's right here, Leah. Let me show you real quick. So, I, so I was gonna, out. yeah, I was gonna ask you about that as well. No problem. So, but before we get too deep into your, you know what? I'll pivot back because I want you to also talk about a little more. Uh, we're gonna do a deeper dive on the, the NFTs, but go ahead and talk about about the silk, the wellness collection. Yes. Okay. So I I've even tried it. It's amazing. <laughs> I do a shameless plug on my uh, magnesium products. Magnesium is good for pain of any kind. I'm talking any part of your body where you have pain. It helps to relieve pain. I want to, um, I'm not a doctor, so I want to be clear that I, I don't have the cure. If you need surgery, you still need surgery, but this helps with pain, anxiety, insomnia, asthma, eczema. Look up the benefits of magnesium. You'll be shocked, but 80% of the world is magnesium deficient. And so I love this product. My family loves it. Everybody in my family uses it so much. So I put my face and my name, image and likeness on the product. So, you know, I believe in it. So I plug my products and then after my speech, the products in the back of the room. If you're interested, you can come get it, come get an autograph and then boom, they fly me back home. So everything that I'm doing is condensed into one thing. And so now when people say, what are you doing these days? my slam signature program, just one thing. And so it's just really freed me because it was hard for me to focus. Like when you um, are passionate about so many different things, it's easy to be all over the place, you know? And so this has kind of like honed in everything to one signature program. And then my slam elite, my slam elite inner circle allows me to teach other um, players, coaches, administrators, how to do what I'm doing, how to monetize your voice. There are people who will, they just want to hear your story. They, they love to hear about your experiences. And it's cost me, Leah, to be me. You and I have talked about this. It has cost me a lot to, to acquire the knowledge and the experience that I have. And so I'm just now a consultant helping other people um, monetize what they do. 
Yes, yes. And, I, you know, you offer such wise counsel to me just like all the time. And um, I'm so grateful to you for that. Give me one second. Give me one second. All right. So my um, my computer is saying that it doesn't want to have power. So we're trying to find my power source. <laughs> so in the but um, I want you to talk about NFTs because there are so many people people that are watching and that will watch during, you know, on demand during our, um, in whenever they get a chance. And I, I know that I'm not the only one that have heard these really cool terms and try to be really super cool, but still don't know what it is. So can you break it down for us a little bit? Okay. So NFT stands for non-fungible token. And so it's my NFT is bought through cryptocurrency It's backed by Ethereum. So you use Ethereum cryptocurrency to purchase my NFT. And so the neat thing about it is, Leah, if you, if you, I hate to say this, but if you Google me, the blindfold dunk Sylvia Crawley and, and go to Getty Images, that dunk picture, the picture of the slam dunk costs $4.99. So basically $500. They have been selling it since 1998. And I have never got one cent from that. Mm-hmm. They own the right. Whoever mm-hmm. the photographer was owned the rights and sold it to Getty Images. So if I wrote a book and I wanted to put my own image of me dunking blindfolded on the cover of my book, I would have to pay them for that for that image. Wow. And so they have 121 pictures of me on on Getty Images that they're selling for $500. And so with the NFT, I now take back control of my name, image, and likeness. Um, and so I have an NFT of it. It has a smart chip in it. It grows in value, right? So if you buy it today, you would get it at 0.05 Ethereum, right? Mm-hmm. And so when people ask me, how much does it cost? I can't tell you because if Ethereum is down, then the price is down. If Ethereum is up, then the price is up, you know? But right. the good thing about it is as that cryptocurrency grows, my NFT grows in value, right? And so it's a collector's item. But it's an asset, you know, it's not something that you buy and then you lose the money. Right. And so unless the unless the market goes down, but I think this is the way the world's gonna go towards cryptocurrency. And um, you know, you've got to jump on the bandwagon at some point in time because you know, I think US dollars is gonna be a thing of a past soon, very soon. And so, anyways, so now so years ago, I used to be sponsored by Jordan. I was one of few women. Right. And they only made two pairs of shoes, Lady Jordan tennis shoes. And that was me and Charlotte Smith. And they sent us boxes and boxes of the. No, it was one shoe. They sent us boxes of the same shoe. And so I would autograph every game. Charlotte and I would wear a different pair of shoes. We wouldn't break them in, just new shoes, sign them and throw them in the stands. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next game, we wear another pair of shoes. And the crowd would be like, Crowley, over here. And so I would throw these shoes in the crowd thinking like, they're probably going to sell those shoes on eBay for like $1,000. I, I would never know. Right. right. But with an NFT, if you buy one and you sell it, I'm going to be notified because there's a smart chip in it. And every time it travels, I will be compensated for that. So this is a way for professional athletes or photographers or musicians. Because think about how we buy music nowadays. 
Oh, no doubt. Music. They just get get Apple Pay or listen on Pandora or listen on Apple Music, you know, but the artist is not getting the money anymore. Now they can make an NFT of their songs, of their artwork. I mean, there's different forms of NFTs, right? And so right. Shaquille O'Neal shouldn't be the only former player that is like in his bag right now. Like we could all be in our bag. So, you know, right. if you want to support me as an athlete, you know, you can go to sylviacrawley.com and in the menu, you'll see my NFT. You can click on that and get it. You you just trade it through your wallet. So if you already have cryptocurrency, Ethereum, you can just connect your wallet to it and purchase it. Boom. And it's in your wallet. And so I used to think, why would anybody want an NFT? Why do people collect them? Same reason why people collect comic books, Barbies, you know, um, anything. You know, whatever it is you collect, why do you collect it? It's just a hobby. It's something you enjoy. So there are there's a huge community on the blockchain where all they do is collect NFTs. And so I'm super excited to be in this in this new space. Like it's just these young age kids. And so so my collection, you get one, you get the NFT. You get two of them, you get a smart T-shirt. You get three of them, you get a digital autograph card of the blindfold dunk. And when you get the fourth one, you get um, 30 minutes with me one-on-one -on -one in my metaverse space. So Leah, imagine, like if you played AAU, you bring your whole AAU team in there. Imagine when I was a little girl, I could go into a, um, if I could go into a metaverse space with Cheryl Miller and just ask her like, how did you get your scholarship? How did you, you know, how did you make it to play professional? Like, how did you find the agent? Yeah, like anything. how many hours do you have to exactly exactly? So so still, we've got to show the people the blindfold dunk. Okay. So let's talk. Yeah. So let's show them and talk to us a little bit about this day because I've and I've heard this story several times, but let's tell everybody else's story about the story, the day that you did the blindfold dunk. Oh my goodness! So my sister who has her nails polished right now. Like she's trying to get a dark and lovely and OPI nail polish endorsement. And <laughs> she was supposed to tie the blindfold on me and she tied it too tight. So Leah, I was supposed to be able to see the basket, but all I could see was down my nose and to the floor. But I had practiced this so many times that I had the floor mark of where I was supposed to take my steps. And so um, I did my mile high salute because the Denver Broncos at the time lived in my um, time home. I had a townhouse like condominium where they where they housed us and they mm -hmm. lived in my in my complex. And so they helped me like they helped me with the blindfold dunk. And so that was their shout out. I did the mile high salute. And my sister's like, wait, you want me to retie it loser? I'm like, no. So I just <laughs> went for it. I was praying, dear Lord, please be with me. And I saw my mark on the floor, like down my nose. Mm -hmm. And when I don't, you see, I'm cheering harder than everybody else. <laughs> I can't believe I actually did it. And so, yeah, the rest is history. And people were just like, wow, you don't blindfold it. But that's the story behind the story. Funny story. And my sister and I, afterwards, we were kind of in a room with my agent. And we were just like, <laughs> like we literally almost had a mini. Like, what just happened? <laughs> right. That could have went very, very wrong. But, you know, the Lord saw fit for it to go right. And to this day, 
people share it and then it'll just go viral. Then different people were sharing it and liking it. It came back up again this year. And I'm like, do people realize this happened in 1997? And my husband's like, I'm telling you, your name's still relevant. Your name is still relevant. I'm like, okay. no doubt. <laughs> no, no, no doubt. Well, here's the funny thing. And, and this is a, this is something I'm going to ask every guest and I'm going to ask you, and this was a perfect segue into the question. Um, although you've had such a, a, just say, decorated career and such great memories of when you played, when did you decide, you know, hence the name of my show, After the Whistle, that it was time for you to do a pivot, that it was time for there to be something outside of basketball that you would be doing after that whistle, that last whistle blew. When was that pivotal moment for you? Well, Leah, I had the great opportunity of working Michael Jordan's basketball camp. Um, every year, a player from the University of North Carolina from the men and the women's basketball team got to work Michael Jordan's camp at Elmhurst College in Illinois. And so I just so happened I was working the camp when he retired the first time. And so at this camp, we got a chance to like really interact with him. Uh, we played pickup ball with him at night. We did pitcher day where we got to take a staff pitcher. And um, so I said, Mike, how did you know it was your time to retire? Because I noticed that there were a lot of athletes that struggled with knowing when it was their time. You know, like you'd see older players just limping down the court, like barely dragging their leg. And, right. and, I, and I, too, used to feel like I want to do this till the wheels fall off like this. I can't believe I get paid to do what I love for two hours a day. Like the game is maybe two hours, right? And so I asked him that question and he said, Crawley, your mind and your body, your heart and your body will let you know when it's time. Your heart and your body will just let you know. And I understood that in a moment, but when it was my time, I overstood what he was talking about. Like that mm, conversation yes. just was ringing in my head over and over and over again. And so I was playing for San Antonio Silver Stars and I was just going through the motions. I always, I always knew that God strategically placed me smack dab in the WNBA to be a light, to mm. let my light shine in the midst of like so many things that were going on. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'll never forget. I was doing an autograph session at the end of our season and there was a little girl who wanted me to sign her poster. And I signed my autograph, which is super messy, right? Because I've practiced right. this autograph since I was six. And it still looks exactly the same as when I was six. But it's super <laughs> messy, right? And so she looked at the autograph and she looked at me and she said, do you even like to play basketball? And I said, yes. I gave her the same like answer that I have been saying for the last, you know, 12 years like oh i love my job i get paid to do what i love for two hours a day and she looked back at the picture and she looked back at me and she said are you sure i was like this little Ooh. kid can see right through me <laughs> and when i looked at the poster okay. our starting five in a huddle it was me marie ferdinand adrian goodson margot dedeck and jennifer azy right and we're we've all got our hands mm -hmm. around each other in a huddle but my eyes look like this, Leo. This is in the middle of the game. Mm. I look like I, like I didn't even want to be there. <laughs> I was barely awake. But it's in the middle of a game. And this little girl's looking at the picture. Wow. And, she's me, and she's asking me, am I sure 
You know, do you even like to play basketball? And say, yes. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. like, are you sure? And I was thinking, like, I'm not even fooling the smallest little kid. Like, my light's not shining. <laughs> this is the whole reason why I'm playing, you know? And in that moment, my heart let me know. No doubt. Like, it's time for me to go because I love this game. I've had an incredible journey. And, and this is the other part of the conversation I had with Michael Jordan. He said it was important for him to retire on his own terms. He didn't want it to be snatched away from him from by injury or him bouncing from team to team and then eventually get cut. Because, you know, like when you start bouncing from team to team to team to team, you know, eventually you're on your way out. Every athlete no knows doubt. that, yes. you know. And so mm-hmm. he had a lot, he said he had a lot of friends who the game was just snatched away from them and they weren't ready for it to end. And he said, how you transition in and out of everything, out of anything is everything. So how you transition out of basketball is what you tend to remember for the rest of your life. And he said, you know, I had an incredible journey through basketball and I want to walk away with fond memories. I don't want to be stuck on how it ended and stuck with those memories, even though it's, it's been a great, you know, 10 year or 20 year run, however long he played. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so um, for me, I felt like, okay, I want to retire on my own terms. So I retired in 2004 with two years left on my contract. Wow. And my agent was like, seal, no, you just, you had a bad season. You guys were losing. You had a coaching change. You went through a lot this year. She said, so I'm going to place you overseas, play one more season. And I'm going to put you on a good team. This is going to be a championship team. And she did. She found me a team where all the players were Olympians. And my coach was the Olympic coach. And they were predicted to win a championship, right? Mm-hmm. And so I said, all right, I'll play one last season. She said, and after the end of that season, if you still feel like retiring, I'll buy you a retirement gift. I'll give you my blessings. So I went to Korea. We had a great year. I had a great experience. I actually started my first clothing line. It was called EFOT Customs while I was over there. And after that season, even though I had a great experience, I still felt the same way. Like it's just mm. time to, to do other things. Now, meanwhile, before I had retired, I had already been transitioning into coaching. So I wasn't afraid. You know what I mean? So when I played for Portland Fire, I coached and played simultaneously. So I had a nine-month coaching contract at the University of North Carolina and a three-month WNBA contract. So mm-hmm. I could do both. And I was one of eight people at the time who did that. Mm-hmm. Suicide away in my mind. Like, it was crazy to try to, you know, prepare on your off-season, but really you're coaching in an office, right? It was, it was insane. But it gave me such a unique experience. Like, I can change from player to coach like that. I could put my player's hat on and my coach's hat on like like that. So the thing that I experienced as a coach, I got to see it through the lenses of a player. And I was Mm -hmm. like, you know what? If I was a player, I would be thinking this right now. You know? So I was like, as a coach, I'm going to change up what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, it really gave me an advantage. So, So anyways, because I had already transitioned into coaching when it was time for me to retire, I already had a coaching job. I was already ready for that transition. And I was able to retire with very fond memories of my career. I wasn't dreaming through my players, trying to get them to have the career that I never had, you know, or exactly 
know, trying to push my niece to do something that I didn't do. You know, it was just projecting. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I just, I just really enjoy developing young people still to this day. You know, I'm no longer in college coaching. That was probably your next question. <laughs> um, but as I transition out of coaching, I found a way to still mentor and develop young hearts and minds. That's people ask me all the time. You miss playing? I'm like, no, you miss coaching? No, I don't because I still get to do the parts of that that I love to do. It was the teamwork, no it doubt. was developing, it was the um, building of young people and, and leading them. Like I was a captain as a player and I, you know, and as a coach, you're a leader. So, um, so yeah, just, I think you got to know when it's your time. Transitions are everything. How you transition yeah. into a job is everything and how you transition out of something is also important for your for your own mental your own mental state you know yes yes you you so many nuggets that you just do talking about your journey um you just dropped so many great nuggets one of the things that came to mind when you were saying that is um you wanting to affect the hearts and minds of young people and so often it's because we are constantly tapping into our inner child. We're constantly tapping into who we were as that young person and, and remembering how life and people affected us when we were younger. If you can recall, what are some things that you remember about or that you continue to try to feed as an adult because you're remembering your inner child, you're, you're that, that, young, that young Sylvia, the one, the, the Sylvia that was 5'11 in fourth grade, that one. <laughs> um, you know, family was always very important. And I was very blessed to have role models right in my own house. I hear a lot of people say that, but I really, truly did, Leah. Um, you know, just starting with my parents, like my dad is one of the wisest men I've ever met. And he's self-taught. He read, he's a, he's a um, avid reader and just, he learned through reading books. Like he, he didn't go to college, you know, but any country that I had a contract to play in, I would run it by my dad. And my dad would be like, well, it's a communist country and everybody speaks French there. And then, you know, they don't allow women to go outside after 10 o'clock. And it's like, how did you know that? Like this city is like, this is a city nobody even heard of, but my dad knew about it. Like my dad, literally, if you put him on Jeopardy today, he would probably win first place. I'm probably like, <laughs> so just starting with my dad and just being an avid reader and very knowledgeable about a lot of things, very wise, very decisive person. He's a man of few words, but when he speaks, it's very powerful. And then there was my mm. mom do everything. This is why I'm into multiple streams of income. My mom, could sew, like she made our clothes, she could cook. She was born on a farm. So they take a chicken out the yard and cook it. You know what I mean? Like you gotta be a good cook to do that or, or a pig or something. So my mom could cook, you know, my mom's dad was a mechanic. She was a daddy's girl. So she could fix cars, she could build houses. And now I've inherited all those gifts. You know, my mom has a lot of spiritual gifts. I've inherited some of those gifts as well. Just growing up in a household of a mom who had great discernment, you know, um, and yes. prophetic experiences. And so it taught me to be good judge of character, 
when I meet people, you know, that discernment kicks in when I met you, Leah. And so just starting with parents like that, who just valued education, we weren't allowed to bring home C's, you know. Um, and then I had a sister who was super feminine, you know, so she taught me how to be a lady, how to put on makeup, how to dress. Um, but my sister, like you've met her, Leah, like she is sharp, you know, and she's the person. Shout that out to Helen Austin. Yes. Shout out. They're watching too today. I'm sure I they support her. everything. They're my biggest supporters. Like you saw the dunk contest. My sister was right there. Anything I do, she's like, I'm coming. I'm flying out. I'm, I already got my hotel room, you know. But she taught me how to be a lady. She taught me how to save money. My sister had a piggy bank when we were kids. If the good, if the good humor truck came, we didn't ask my mom for money. We were like asking my sister or robbing her bank. We got a knife and just like shook all the change out. And <laughs> she's going to kill me. <laughs> but she always had money saved. Like I had uncles that would ask to borrow money from my sister, and she was a kid. So there were certain things that she taught me. Um, I was super close to my brother. So my brother and sister took French, but as a four and five-year-old, I could speak French, you know, because they went to school and then they came home and taught me everything they knew. And so, um, so I was super close to my brother because he's eight years older than me. My sister's 10 years older than me. So I shared bunk beds with my brother. We, we played church, house, school, everything. And so, um, so, and I'm a daddy's girl. So I grew up a, I was tomboy chic, you know, like I was a little kid who had lip gloss and some white Easter shoes, but I was climbing a tree. And my mom was like, get out of that tree with those white Easter shoes on, right? Yeah, me but too. The, yeah, the femininity <laughs> side came from my sister. And then, you know, I'm chasing after my brother and my, you know, my daddy's girl and stuff like that. So, so I had a perfect blend in my house. You know, if I got in trouble, my mom would call my brother and sister home. We have a family meeting, you know, and I had to explain, you know, why I did what I did and what my life plan is moving towards the future. You know, like other kids didn't have that type of discipline going on at home and accountability, but I did. Right. And I'll never forget when I got my first uh, $100,000 in my, in my 401k. I was super excited. Cause that was my goal. Like I want to hit a hundred thousand dollars. So I finally hit the mark and I called my brother and my sister to got them on the phone. I was like, guess what? I got a hundred thousand dollars in my 401k. And they were like, that's it. <laughs> exactly. They were like, you played the WNBA. You only got a hundred thousand. I was like, I thought I was going, <laughs> I thought I was going good. I was like, how much do y'all have in your 401k? And they told me, I was like, <laughs> you know, so it was good for me to not always be the smartest person in the room and not always be the wealthiest person in the room and not always be the wisest person in the room. In my family, I was the youngest and the weakest link. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, I got to get my weight up to be in this family. So right. it pushed me and it challenged me. Like when you're the youngest, everybody's paved the way for you. And they don't want you to make mistakes. So they're always like, you got to do this and you got to do that. And make sure you do, make sure you put the most amount in your 401k. So I got, I reaped the benefits of all of that. Sure. And so, um, so yeah, so I always tap back to my five, eight, third grade year old self <laughs> that it, everything stems back to family for me. And this is why my parents live with me now. Um, we still come up from a very close knit family if we have a business idea, we're going to run it by each other first, you know, and now 
I'm married. So my husband has married into this type of family. Mm-hmm. And my husband has a, you know, his, the Span family, they, they do a lot in terms of business too. They support each other's businesses. They have, you know, family calls every month. So now as a marriage, we didn't shrink as people. People think like you settle down. We have expanded, like he's gained two parents and I've gained three kids and a grandchild even, you know, and, and all the things that come with our siblings even. And so, so it all stems back to just family and togetherness. Those are the things that I draw from even as an adult today. Nice, nice. Well, I would be absolutely remiss if we did not talk about the initiative that was birthed into the both of us almost simultaneously. You know, I'm so grateful to Holy Spirit for this, but let's talk to the people about Tall Girls United. Yes, super excited. So Tall Girls United, um, what came about because we wanted to form an organization that would unite all tall girls globally, not just nationally. You know, I've played in 16 different countries. So there's a lot of different tall girl organizations. All of a sudden, like before there weren't, there weren't very many or or if all none, right? But now there's so there's tall girls matter. There's all these different tall girl organizations and there's a lot of tall girl brands, clothing brands, including my own. So Tall Girls United is to unite all of these different organizations and brands into like one big community. And we support other tall girl brands, other tall girl organizations. We post about them on our social media pages. Um, But the biggest thing that I'm proud of, Leah, is to announce that we have now um, formed a nonprofit, the Tall Girl Fund. Yay! And so we mentor young girls who are often the tallest girl in their school. Like when I when I was in the sixth grade, I was six feet tall with a size 12 shoe. So I was taller than the girls, taller than the boys. I was taller than my teachers, right? right. <laughs> the so, male and the female teachers. Right. So we were navigating through why am I, why do I look like this? Are the boys gonna ask me to the prom? You know, like the like I was a peg like i was straight up and down i didn't have boobs butt hips nothing right and i always felt like the boys they want big butts and boobs and i'm just like a little tweak <laughs> right. with knees and bow-legged you know right. uh, so i'm navigating through puberty you know by myself i was the only person in my city like this so i looked in a lot of magazines a lot of tv shows to find somebody else like me and so what Which I'm being very rarely found. Yeah. But, then, but the interesting thing is, as you're navigating that, um, I'm a little older than you. I'm navigating the same exact experiences. And right. so when we get together and now we're able to talk about that, there's some type, there's a sense of <sighs> energy. And yes, there's that synergy in the nurses. Oh my gosh, somebody that gets it. And then then there's another person, then there's another person, then there's another person. You know, I talk a lot about, you know, both my daughters are just, were the same. They were both over six foot tall in in sixth grade. And I tried to make sure that not just myself, but they were surrounded by other tall women Mm -hmm. as well. And um, to, to just be able to have this commonality, you know, I tell people all the time that we're taller than 90% of the human population, period. Right. And so now we get to mentor young girls so that they don't have to go through that journey alone. That is correct. 
highest heels with us. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Exactly. <laughs> and wonderfully made. And you were born exactly the way you were born on purpose. Tall Girls United. I'm super proud of that. We have our convention every year at the Final Four, at the Women's Final Four. Um, next year we'll be in Cleveland. We just did one in Dallas. So we're super excited about that. We'll be at the WNBA All-Star Game and we will be breaking bread with our vertical sisters. And we don't discriminate, you know, it's for six you feet know. up. But at our events, anyone is welcome to come. And so, um, yeah, so that is one of the things that you and I have been able to collaborate on. I'm super proud of it. Yes, indeed. And so, oh my gosh. So Sylvia, I want to thank you so much for, first of all, just um, trusting this, trusting that we could uh, bring forth something that's going to be so important to so many people um, that we can have this journey together. And I um, am so grateful that you, joined me today to share just your 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 wealth of knowledge and just your your beautiful spirit with everybody here on my premiere episode of Coach Leah's After the Whistle. Thank you for having me. And um, you're definitely going to have to have a part two, Leah. I told you this already, but I'll see you on and the next the next. You show. already know. Yes, <laughs> you, you're coming back. You are absolutely coming back. All right. Well, Sylvia's going to get out of here. Um, we, again, we want to thank Sylvia Crawley Span for joining us um, for our premiere episode of After, After the Whistle. But before we get out of, out of here, our final segment is Community Collaborators. Now, this is where we honor and give a highlight to somebody from the in the community, it could be the uh, nonprofit sector, it could be the public sector, but this is either a person or organization or just a business as a whole uh, or a movement as a whole that does great community engagement, either partnering with the Fraser Foundation, the 501c3 that I founded back in 1995. Um, and with it was my way of giving back to the community or they're just known for just being in the community, doing great work um, themselves. And it's been brought to our attention and we will wanna highlight them. So at the end of every After the Whistle, we will highlight a community collaborator. And for our premiere episode, I wanted to make sure that I gave a shout out to Insight News. Al McFarlane and Marla has been such a huge supporter of the Fraser Foundation, the Diamonds in the Rough program that I've started and brought as an initiative to the community as a way to give back. Insight News has been 100% on board. And so I'm so just internally grateful for that. But more importantly, Insight News has been like that for so many hundreds of organizations and thousands of individuals in supporting the great work and the 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 like-minded positive missions of different organizations and not just in the Twin Cities folks but literally all over the world and so kudos to Insight News our after the whistle community collaborator well, folks, we're getting down to the 
last little bit of our show, and I want to thank you again for joining us for our premiere episode of After the Whistle. Be sure to um, go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. If you are watching this on your favorite podcast, make sure that you follow, make sure that you share. Uh, you're going to only find, and I promise you, only find uplifting, positive, insightful, enlightening information on After the Whistle, learning from elite athletes what they do outside of their sport. Have a good week. <laughs>